0: May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building the calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate we invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 9 30 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire, or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst, and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to you today. Today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, in your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading today comes from John in the third chapter. It includes perhaps the best known verse from the book of John, one that the choir will sing later this morning that reminds us of God's deep love for the world. It comes as a part of the story that Pastor Diana was talking about, about a conversation that took place in the night between a religious leader named Nicodemus and Jesus. I invite you to listen for the word of God. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. The story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night is such an intriguing conversation, and it's given rise to lines and phrases that have become cliche part of the Christian faith, the kind of Christianity that's most visible in U.S. America today. The translation that I read just now has Jesus saying you can't be a part of the kingdom of God unless you've been born from above. Another appropriate translation of the Greek is unless you've been born again. This idea of being born again has become knit into the fabric of the popular Christianity in U.S. America so that it becomes almost a Uh, litmus test question to determine whether you're on the in or the outside of the group of Christians. Have you been born again? It's the kind of question you imagine receiving from a street preacher, the kind of question that brings with it assumptions of a fairly rigid understanding of Christianity that sees some as belonging and others as outside. But here in this conversation, it takes place under the cover of darkness in the late of the night, and I like to use that as an opportunity for us to engage the question itself, not as if it were a simple or settled matter, but with some of the mystery that it deserves. The mystery that I like to believe Nicodemus held as he sought to understand what this strange phrase meant, what this strange teaching from Jesus meant— now, our Bible, of course, comes to us in written form, not as an audiobook or a video. And so we're left to imagine the tone of voice and the posture of bodies as these conversations took place. And there's plenty in this text that is open for really varied interpretation. When Nicodemus, a religious leader in his own Jewish community, in Jesus' own Jewish community, comes to Jesus under cover of darkness and calls him rabbi, we're left to ponder what sort of tone he used as he called Jesus rabbi. It's only chapter three of the book of John. Jesus has already begun to show the wondrous signs that are possible through his power, where he changed a whole bunch of water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. But it's still early in the story and the fullness of the mystery that Jesus brings is not yet been seen. Jesus is then a Poor traveling preacher leader, who this established religious leader calls rabbi. You're left to imagine whether he said it with recognition and respect, or a hint of sarcasm, or a touch of impossibility. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness trying to understand what is this different power, this new presence that Jesus is bringing into the world, and he asks him in their conversation how it could be possible for a person to be born again, to take on new identity that comes by being born from above or from God. This week, we'll celebrate my son's 12th birthday, which is always an occasion to remember when he was a tiny baby. This question takes on a different sort of horror as a mother, imagining the physicality of what it would take for a 12-year-old to be born again, for a grown adult to be born again. Those who've been through childbirth remember the struggle and the labor that is involved in that work. It's a wild thing, an absurd thing to imagine Nicodemus, a grown-up, us in this room being born again. And yet, Jesus insists that there's something about this that we can't let go of. There's something about taking on a new life, a new identity, a new way of understanding ourselves and relating to God that we have to hold on to. We can't reject this teaching altogether. We do have to become new people in some way. We do have to be born again, born from above, take on a new identity Last week on the first Sunday of Lent, I shared with you some teaching from Howard Thurman, whose work has inspired generations of Christian leaders who sought not only to draw nearer to God, but to faithfully live out uh, justice, racial reconciliation, uh, to work for mercy and compassion in our world. Howard Thurman's teaching influenced the work of Cole Arthur Riley, a contemporary writer whose book, This Here Flesh, has been a tremendous gift to me in this last year since it was published. I've shared it on a number of occasions, but again, I want to share it with you this morning as she talks about calling. Because today we have not only this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, in which they seek to understand and convey what Jesus is talking about when he talks about being born anew, born from above, born again. It's set next to that reading, set next to that reading this morning in our worship is this text from the book of Genesis in chapter 12, where a man named Abram not yet named Abraham, receives a blessing from God that changes the course and direction of the story of the people of God, a calling of sorts. Now, Howard Thurman talked about our call to be people who are able to discern the sound of the genuine within ourselves and with others. And this idea goes further in Cole Arthur Riley, who talks about Calling, an invitation to change and grow in this way. She says, even with the things I will become, I am called to them because on some deep plane of the soul, they're already true of me. So, this wild calling we take on, this gift of being born again or born anew, she says, I choose them out of a fidelity to self, not an aspiration toward an idealized self. Calling men comes to us not to make us something different from what we are, but something more consistent with what we are on a deep level, the genuine within us, the true self that God has called us to be, the genuine self that God blesses us with as a gift that comes from our birth in the spirit of God. The invitation then of this day and the season of Lent is to not only hear that voice, but to let it shape who we're becoming. Not because we need to be something different from who we are, but because we've accepted layers of other people's expectations and conformity to the world's expectation and its rules and judgments that has concealed, hidden, what's true in us. Our responding to calling, then, is a responding to what's already real, what's been deeply true all along. It's a moving forward and a change, not, be, not to become something else, but to become something that's true and real. I was um, scouring the internet for insightful commentary on this passage from the 12th chapter of Genesis, and discovered that the Reverend Dr. John Holbert counts these verses as the linchpin of the story of Judaism and Christianity. That these short verses here that describe Abraham's calling transition the story of God and the people of God into one that's rooted in blessing. In the three and a half verses we read this morning, God's blessing comes over and over and over again as the promise of God comes to Abraham, giving assurance of a new identity and a new possibility. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, Scripture says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a transition that happens from those wild stories in the beginning of the book of Genesis, stories of snakes and fruit trees, of great floods that destroy all of creation, of towers that attempt to reach up to heaven and scatter the voices of people into disarray, There's a transition that happens here in the 12th chapter that helps us root ourselves in blessing and in belonging. They shift the story to a family story of our father Abraham and mother Sarah, who will be ancestors in our family of faith, rooted in blessing, rooted in belonging. So today, as we talk about what it means to be people who find our place in the story, people who follow our calling, people who are ready to be about the work of being born again, born anew, and born from above, we know that that story is rooted in blessing, in belonging, in love, which makes all the difference. And this morning, we're given invitation in our Lenten journey to be people who are ready to begin again, who dare to believe that beginning again is possible, that we can start over, that grace can be enough for us, that we can be forgiven and that we can forgive. I've been thinking about transitions in my life, transitions I've seen in myself and others and in the world around Something in our faith calls us to dare to believe that it's possible, for things to change, for things to be different, for a new world to be possible, for a beloved community to be real. Many years ago, when my husband Matt was deployed, I got this dream vision of uh, buying a house for us in a challenging neighborhood in San Diego. I was at the time a pastor at San Diego First United Methodist Church, which moved from downtown to a freeway accessible site in the 1960s, which in some ways made it a church without a neighborhood. No one lived in walking distance of the church. You had to take a freeway to get there. The church was interested, our congregation was interested in deepening our commitment to a neighborhood near us, to extending ourselves in missional service to neighbors in need nearby, that there were lots of neighborhoods we could choose from that were a short freeway distance away. I felt like it was important if we were going to invest in a neighborhood to belong in that neighborhood, so I came up with this dream that we should buy a house in City Heights, which is a neighborhood in San Diego a little bit east of the hip neighborhood in North Park. A little bit to the east, there, it was a community that was originally built as small houses in the 1920s, replaced by apartment buildings in the 1980s. City Heights suffered significantly when plans for a freeway were made and homes were condemned, but the freeway wasn't built for a while with all those vacant houses in the neighborhood, uh, A lot shifted in terms of people who came to stay in the vacant houses. It's a neighborhood that tends to be a first place where refugees and immigrants come to San Diego. Something like 30 languages and 80 dialects are spoken in City Heights. It's a rich community full of vibrant life and hopefulness. So we bought this little house on a corner in City Heights that uh, was—the yard was paved— with concrete, and there was a tall chain-link fence around the edge of the property that was not particularly attractive. But I wasn't quite ready to live entirely without a fence. Early in our time there, as a beautiful gift, Matt hired someone to jackhammer up all that concrete and turn it into a garden. And I got to live my sort of farmer-gardener hippie dream of planting the yard with Vegetables and banana trees and all sorts of things. Along the new fence that we installed, we planted a passion fruit vine. I don't know if you have passion fruit vines on your property. They can grow prolifically. The passion fruit vine is called passion fruit um, because it was named by Spanish missionaries. It's a plant native to the Americas that grows prolifically and produces fruits, passion fruits, which maybe you've had in a smoothie or other beverage, or ice cream. Delicious and tangy. Passion Fruits got their name because Spanish missionaries saw a teaching opportunity in the blossoms of the flower with its ten petals and five stamens. It became a little lesson in the pa- teaching the passion of Christ, an opportunity for missionaries to use the flower as a teaching tool. This was a great disappointment when I learned it because I thought it I don't know. I associate passion flower, passion fruit with Hawaii. I imagine something a little sexier than Spanish missionaries teaching, but it's Lent, so we should appreciate the teaching opportunities of the passion flower. In any case, we planted this passion flower and it quickly took over the whole of the fence. And passion flower vine attracts a butterfly called the Gulf fritillary. It's a beautiful orange and black butterfly that to a novice, non-expert in butterflies looks like a monarch, but it's enough different that it doesn't take too long to distinguish between them. The Gulf fritillary somehow found our island of vines in the middle of the paved section of San Diego. It fills me with wonder that animals can find the oasis of opportunity where it exists. It gives me hope of transformation that paved areas can become a fertile home of wildlife, wondrous, beautiful, vibrant orange wildlife that brings new life. It gives me hope that in our own lives, places that feel cut off and dried out can become fertile again with the possibility of life, a life that flutters and sings, a life that is beautiful and new. The invitation of the gospel is to be people who believe that this is possible, who look at the world, who look at our hearts and our lives and our relationships and perceive not, most of all, the things that are cut off and dead, but the possibility of what could live and what could thrive. The Fritillary butterfly begins as a caterpillar that's orange in color and has these spiky protrusions all over the body— Uh, So first I noticed the butterflies, they were most visible. And then I found the caterpillars, which are also quite striking. It took a little while longer to discover the chrysalis that transitioned the caterpillar to the butterfly. But it's one of those things that once you start to see it, you notice how many there are and all over. I started to see these tiny chrysalis as they were formed all over our property and all over the fence and the vine. In fact, one of them was starting to form on the gate that allowed you pedestrian access from the sidewalk into our house. I noticed this caterpillar still discernible in its orange and black body as it hung itself onto the fence and began to spin the chrysalis around it. But a gate is not a good place for a chrysalis because gates open and close, they're disturbed every day. And I watched as this chrysalis didn't form properly. It's a caterpillar that didn't succeed at becoming a butterfly because it didn't cocoon right. It didn't chrysalis in the right way. It seems to me to be a striking metaphor for the importance of being people who go through what looks like a death in order to experience transition. A reminder that we can't jump immediately from what has been to what will be without going through something that looks like a chrysalis, something that looks like it's dead, something that is a giving up, a giving over, a laying down. In our own lives, too, trusting in the new thing that's happening requires that we lay down and set aside and let die what has been so that we can become. Because you can't get there. Well, you can't get to butterfly without a good chrysalis. You're stuck as a caterpillar that doesn't survive. We humans need transformation, and often it looks like death. It comes with grief. It requires our recognizing what we're letting go of, what we're giving up, what we're leaving behind. And this season of Lent is an opportunity to ponder that. In the Lenten devotional that I encourage you to use, Bruce Reyes-Chao, Chow, is a Presbyterian pastor currently serving an interim assignment in Pasadena, California, writes about his own experience with COVID. He contracted the COVID virus and had a difficult experience with COVID. And then in the months that followed, realized that he had the impacts of a case of long COVID that would last as a part of the fabric of his life into the foreseeable future. It's changed the pace of his work. It required him resigning from his position as a pastor leader. It required him rethinking his life, what he can do, what he can produce, and how it is a part of how he sees himself. His story, which I invite you to read in the devotional or find online, his story is an invitation for us to set our own stories next to it of the transitions and changes that have required us to rethink who we are, what makes us us, and what we value about what we're able to do or participate in or see. It's not always neat and easy or joyous, the transition from what is to what can be in God. It comes with grief and loss and transition and change but I believe the words of Howard Thurman and the way they're echoed through Cole Arthur Riley and the hope of our gospel, which gives us assurance that it is possible, that this is how God works, bringing life out of death, not by skipping over death, but by going with us through the reality of loss and grief, through the pain of transition and change, through the hard work of letting go, setting down, giving up and changing. This Lent, I pray that you would dare to believe that new life is possible, that you would dare to believe that God is not done with us yet and that we're called, what we're called to in God is a truer version of reality, of ourselves, of the blessing that's been part of our story since that promise given to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12 invite you to join me in asking what this new life can be, what it can look like, what's possible because of who we are and who God is in this moment and every moment to come. I believe that it can be gift and life and blessing and joy. May it be so. Amen.